yes. Well, Happy New Year, all. And listen, if you're going to launch into a new year, I would say that's the way to do it, right? A little Narnia, a little C.S. Lewis, uh, a, 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 little, uh, a, a little lion, right? A little lion. Uh, we are here uh, at the beginning uh, of the year. And typically, as it should be, uh, when you enter a space that has some newness to it, a bit of a fresh start, uh, it lends itself to the opportunity to just do a little evaluation, uh, just to assess uh, whether or not you have become distracted over the past uh, season and that you are not engaged in or thinking about or focused on the things that you know are most important. It's sort of what the new year offers us, isn't it? To kind of say, uh, hey, what resolutions, realities, focal points do you need to either regroup on or now that you've grown for a year and you understand more perhaps that you have a better understanding of what matters most and so you're gonna add some things or, regroup, or, or, or do some things differently. So, so that's what this time of year affords us. And, and it's a good practice to just sort of pause and go, what am I going to be about for this next year? Uh, what am I gonna be about doing for this next year? And, and again, we know over the period of the year, it'll be a, an up and down journey, a, a work, but it gives you this space to say, I'm gonna work at that. I'm gonna work at that. And here at Mosaic, we have taken that opportunity at the beginning of each year. Uh, the first or second Sunday of each year, depending on where it falls, uh, to collectively pause and just say, as we look to this next year, what are we going to make sure that we are fixed and focused on uh, as we enter this next year? Uh, of course, we make the assumption and work at the reality every day to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? I mean, that, that, that is a, that, that's not something we, we do one year and maybe not another. But, but, but as we, a people following Jesus, say this year, as we follow Jesus, what is it that we are going to put focus and energy into? This is a time for us to be able to get on the same page. It, it doesn't mean you have to agree that this is what we're gonna be about or that you have to feel like this is what's most important. It gives you and I an opportunity of being part of this local expression of the church to say, are the things that this church and the leadership of this church are uh, getting behind and, and compelling us to get behind the kinds of things I want to get behind and be a part of? And if they are, then we're on the same page. And if they're not, there's lots of opportunities of spaces that might be doing other things. That's why we do this. We gather up because the unity of our minds and hearts is important and we want to be on the same page as we enter into this space. So that is this Sunday. And it is exactly why we began this morning with that clip out of C.S. Lewis's story, The Chronicles of Narnia, in its movie form. Because if we are going to look forward into this year and say, God, what, what do you want us to be focused on this year? Uh, it is good for us to be reminded of the big story that we're part of, right? Because if we forget the big story that we're part of, we will be wrong in our assessment of what we ought to be busy doing and what we ought to be focused on. But if we remember, oh, we're part of this story, 
Oh, this is the reality in which we now live. Then we can measure our focus by that reality. And what is the reality in which we live? If you've been here at Mosaic for the last couple of weeks, uh, then you know that uh, during the Christmas season, we spent a great deal of time dialoguing about the arrival of Jesus in our human past and that there is a second arrival of Jesus in our human future and that we live in between those two spaces and that those two arrivals each have a unique purpose in God bringing about his redemption or his justice or his, or his story, his kingdom. The first arrival was an arrival of God that at first it seemed was a God of weakness to be overcome by the culture and reality around him and be killed by them. He came in as a baby in a manger. He came in as a child and then a grown up. He came in as one to serve and not to be served and then one to die and not to judge, right? Not to condemn darkness in the world, but ultimately to save. So this is the, the first advent. And what we discovered in our journey over Christmas is that we have this incredible privilege as followers of Jesus because God revealed in scripture, not just our past and our present, but also our future, that we also know the second advent and what that holds in its purpose. In the second advent, in the second arrival, Jesus does not come in a manger as a baby. He does not come to be, uh, to be servant and not to be served. He does not come as weak to die uh, for a purpose. He comes as strong to judge. So in the first one, he came for all those things, not because he is weak, but because he was paying the price for our sin, our our disease, and he was taking care of that for us by taking it on himself. In the second arrival, he comes as victor against darkness and death. And we talked this December, right, about the idea that the reason this is so profound is because we were included in the darkness and death part. When he comes back to judge death and to literally cause death to die, to kill death. If we were not saved by him in his first arrival, then we would be included in that dying. It's a big deal, right? So we talked about that this December. And what a profound thing it is that we are a people that God has been so gracious as to show us the future to show us the future of who he is and what he's gonna come and do. And he didn't just show us the future by telling us, he actually bothered to take John, bring him up into the dimension, into heaven where time is not a boundary so that John could see past, present and future. And then you remember in Revelation chapter 21, where John sees the new heaven and the new earth, our future, and he's awestruck by it as God says, I am going to bring all things into rightness, make all things new or right. He pauses, God himself pauses in Revelation, in chapter 21, in this dramatic moment of declaration. He goes like this, write it down, John. You gotta, you gotta write it down, buddy. Like literally, you can read it there. It, it, it's a, write it down. Why did God pause to tell John to write this stuff down when it's this, I'm coming to make all things new. Write, write it down, buddy. 
Why? Because we needed it. Because he did that so we would have it. And this is where we just began our journey in that scene. We began at the end of the movie, not at the beginning. Why? Because if we do not know the end, then everything that we're heading toward is uncertain. But if we know the end, then we know exactly where we're headed, exactly what is ours. We know we win, we know it happens. And so we got to see that. The lion is on the move. The lion is going to take care of it. The lion is gonna get it taken care of. And we are on the team with that lion, right? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. But that is not where our story currently is. We are not currently in that future. We are not currently there. That is not currently our reality. It will be our reality guaranteed according to scripture, but it is not currently our reality. So what is currently our reality as we sit here? Because defining where we stand currently helps us understand what it is we are then called to engage in and what we should find ourselves as followers of Jesus busy doing individually and collectively, and that gives us the space by which we can enter into this Sunday and say, here's what we're gonna be about. Here's what we're gonna be get, get doing. And to show you where I think uh, we are, our present, what I think the scripture describes as our present reality, I'm gonna show you another scene. I'm gonna jump from the end of that movie, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, to its beginning. Because we are at the beginning of the story as it relates to what we're about to watch. Our current reality, our starting point is actually in this space. So take a look at this scene and then I will explain to you where we stand and what that means for us. Watch. Isn't there anything we can do to help Thomas? They're taking him to the witch's house. And you know what they say, there's few that go through them gates that come out again. Fish and chips. <laughs> but there is hope, dear. Lots of hope. Oh, yeah, there's a right bit more than hope. Aslam is on the move. Who's Aslan? <laughs> Who's Aslan? <laughs> you cheeky little blighter. <laughs> What? You don't know, do you? Well, we haven't exactly been here very long. Well, he's only the king of the whole wood. The top geezer. The real king of Narnia. He's been away for a long while. But he's just got back. And he's waiting for you near the stone table. He's waiting for us. You're blooming joking. They don't even know about the prophecy. Well, then... Look... Aslan's return. Thomas' arrest, the secret police, it's all happening because of you. You're blaming us? No, not blaming, thanking you. There's a prophecy. When Adam's flesh and Adam's bone sits at Care Perivale in throne, the evil time will be over and done. You know, that doesn't really rhyme. Yeah, I know it don't, but you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> It has long been foretold that two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will defeat the White Witch and restore peace to Narnia. 
And do you think we're the ones? Well, you better be, because Aslan's already fitted out your army. Our army? Mum sent us away so we wouldn't get caught up in a war. I think you've made a mistake. We're not heroes. We're from Finchley. Oh. Thank you for your hospitality. But we really have to go. You can't just leave. He's right. We have to help Mr. Tomnus. It's out of our hands. I'm sorry. But it's time the four of us were getting home. Whoo! Now, you all know, because we showed you the last scene already, does Peter and the four of them go home and they're never part of the story? No, of course not. They actually end up uh, being an integral part of the story and everything that was shared in that room becomes their story. This is a brilliant way that C.S. Lewis put into this incredible story the realities that scripture teaches us. In Ephesians chapter two, as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he unpacks for us the reality of the gospel, the redemptive work of Jesus. And he says, when we were dead, he made us alive, saving our soul. He says that in saving our soul and making us alive, he has established for us a future inheritance where he will lavish upon us his kindness for ages to come. And we will be the inheritors of God himself and all of his kingdom. And then in verse 10 of chapter two of the book of Ephesians, he says something profound. He says in, uh, over and above all of that, included in all of that, being a recipient of God's grace and of the gospel, you are also invited, called to be participants in this gospel, in this redemptive work. And he says, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for us to do. That is the reality of that scene. This beaver saying, don't you understand? We have more than hope because Aslan is on the move. We have more than hope because we know what the end of the story is, but we're not in the end yet. We're in the beginning where you've just shown up. Aslan's on the move. Things are happening. And so our hope is founded, but we've still got work to do. And you're part of the work. And they rightly as we ought to look at each other and go, uh, you have the wrong folk. Like we're from a little town, we're not heroes. And that's the beauty of the story of scripture is that the story of scripture says, oh no, 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 I know that. I know that you are not heroes capable of doing extraordinary things for me so that I can have you show up and say, we, we defeated darkness. We overcame the gates of hell. We, we killed the, 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 the terrible things and, and look, God, we've done it for you. Oh no, I know that you can't do, but you get to be part of this incredible story. And, and we sit with a choice as followers of Jesus always in this clarity. That as God says, you are invited to come with me as we shove the gates of hell backwards and we squeeze darkness into a corner and crush it in time as I will do with or without you. You get to join me in that. We get to kind of say like they did, I don't know, I think we should head home. Or with great trepidation in our souls and nervousness, step forward and say this, God, I, I'm right here, what can I do? God, I'm right here, what can I do? And it is with that attitude that we're entering this year. 
Not that it's a new attitude that we haven't had before. It's just the ongoing reality of how we as a church want to function. We want to show up and say, God, I'm right here. What can I do? And when we ask that question, as we wrestle with whether God is going to answer that or not, we discover God answers resoundly toward us on what we can do, what part we can play, how we can participate in this story of redemption. So when we here at Mosaic as an elder team work diligently to prayerfully consider where God is directing us in this year and the years to come, We don't just sit around with whiteboards and set goals and think about strategic things. We go study scripture is what we do. And we ask God, what have you already said? What have you said we ought to be about and how can we get about it? And so that's exactly what we've done again is gone and said, God, here we are, what can we do? And over the last 20 years of Mosaic's journey and over the last year of all that God has taught us through the multitude of books and realities we've traveled through, the We series with uh, us as the church, the, the series this Christmas, God has shown us so much. We arrive here standing ready to say, God, what do you want from us? And he goes, okay, here it is. This is what I want for us. And here's where the whole story begins that is so gracious on God's part. He knows we're from a little town and we're not heroes. He knows that. He knows we don't have the capacity to defeat darkness and to defeat the enemy of God. He knows we're gonna end up laying on the ground with a sword through our arm and the wicked witch with a giant sword over us about to kill us. He knows he's the one that's gonna do the work. He knows our weakness. He knows our vulnerability. He knows our incapacity. So when we come to him and say, we're from a little town, we're not heroes, we're going home. He goes, no, 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 no. I already know that. So as a starting point for you to join me in this dangerous reality of being a participant in engaging where darkness is and shoving it backwards, there's some things that you need to remember. And this happens in a conversation that Jesus is having with his followers prior to his death and resurrection. And those followers will be people that make disciples or followers of Jesus, who will make followers of Jesus, who will make followers of Jesus all the way through centuries and centuries until we're sitting right here in this place. You and I are the consequence of this little group of people by the spirit of God making disciples. We are the consequence. So when Jesus is telling them this, he's speaking not only to these few in the room with him, but to all who will follow him throughout time. And this is what he says. In John chapter 15, verse four, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. So there there Jesus begins and says, oh, no, 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 no. If you think I'm inviting you into the story so you can go be the hero and come and show me how awesome you are, that's not what I'm doing. I know you can't do that. What I'm calling you into is to come grab my hand, stand by my side and let me do what I do and you do it with me. In fact, he he, he unpacks this even further when he says in John chapter 16 and 17, literally the, the two chapters that follow this chapter, same conversation, same meal. So he's just talking and they're just putting into three chapters. 
He says, this, this staying close to me, this abiding with me, this hanging on to me as a branch hangs on to a, to a vine, you do that because I'm up to something and you're gonna be up to that something with me. And in chapter 16 and 17, he says, I'm gonna send you my spirit and my spirit is going to empower you to be part of this because here's what my spirit is gonna do. My spirit is going to be my witness to the world of who I am and what I've done and what I'm gonna do. And you're gonna be my witnesses along with my spirit. Jesus does not say, you're gonna be my witnesses and my spirit will help you. Let me say that again. Jesus does not say, you're gonna be my witnesses and my spirit will help you. He says, my spirit is going to witness for me and you are gonna, there's like two of you, help him. I thought that would be sort of an obvious, like came right out of the help, right? Help him. And he will empower you to that end. We are invited into a story as dangerous as it is that is totally safe because we are joining the one who is doing the work. And so he says that. So he begins to say to us, listen, listen, uh, you stay close to me. I'm gonna give you my spirit who will be close to you and you'll be close to him. And he's gonna go witness and you're gonna go with him and be my witnesses with him. There is this work. And when you do that, fruit will be born. My fruit will be born because if you're with me, you're gonna bear fruit. That wasn't a guess. Are you with me so far? Then later on, in a letter that Paul writes, actually inspired by the Holy Spirit, we get another clue in this piece of journey that starts us out to say, we ought to be about this. In Ephesians uh, chapter uh, four, verse 11, here's what he says. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church. So this is a list of leaders, people that will be in in leadership in the church that will be guiding and and, and sharing the truth and unpacking realities. I'm gonna give the church some leaders, okay? And here's what those leaders are going to be for, what they're gonna be about. I'm gonna give the church these leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What that basically says is, the leaders are going to keep teaching you about who Jesus is. You're gonna keep teaching each other about who Jesus is so that our complete fixation, understanding, reality is Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And then we are gonna go do the work of the ministry together, which is to help other people understand who Jesus is and come to know him. And the church is gonna help equip you. So here's what he's saying. As followers of Jesus, after we are recipients of God's rescuing work and we've come to believe in Jesus and he is our savior, it's almost like entering Narnia, right? We're now in his kingdom. And he's like, it's still winter, but summer is coming because Aslan is on the move. We're invited now to be participants in this story. And he's saying, stay close to me because I'm gonna get it taken care of and I will equip you for the work. Do you guys remember um, in the story of Narnia, the scene with Santa Claus, if you've ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia? It's a a neat scene, right? Uh, Santa Claus shows up, the children think it's the wicked witch. And so he shows up and he gets the four kids. This is now after they've decided that they're going to be in the story. And he gives each of the kids a gift. 
a Christmas gift. But these Christmas gifts are weird. Peter gets a sword. Uh, his sister gets a bow and arrow. Like you, you're like, oh man, these feel like you, kids shouldn't play with these. And he's like, you ain't children now, you're in a war. And then he gives the littlest one uh, a little bottle of potion. And he's like, if you pour this on anyone that's wounded, it will heal them. I kind of felt, I remember when seeing the scene, I'm like, oh gosh, we're going to war and she gets a bottle with some liquid in it. Like you just kind of feel like, can I, can I have, can I have what he had? Can I have what she had? Like it doesn't feel like the, the hero. What's, what's incredible to me is when we get to the scene that you uh, already watched when we started, the reason Peter rushed in and started fighting the wicked witch is because she stabbed his brother and his brother was laying dying. And at the point where life was ebbing from him, it was the little potion that brought life back to him. And the whole time, the lion knew that her part would be profound in the story at exactly the time it was needed while she ran around a war zone with a bottle of liquid. (laughs) Every one of us matter to the story. That's what the Bible says. They were all part of the body and he's given each one of us a unique part to play. We don't know when exactly and how exactly to play that all the time. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little, but when it counts, it will be the most important part in the entire thing. Every one of you will play the most important part in the entire thing at some point. And if you and I are in this together, then we charge forth into this battle with him. And so he says this, Stay close to me and by my spirit and with my people, my church, I will equip you to do the work of the ministry and to stay close to me. So here's where we begin. 2024 and beyond indefinitely. Mosaic, this is what we're going to be about. This is what we're going to spend energy and time on. Part one, here we go. We are going to become a church family and continue to be a church family that is equipped for the work of ministry through regular rhythms and practices of being immersed in God's word, his truth, together with God's people, the church, and through the power and leading of God's spirit. This is what we're going to be about doing. Expect, if you're a part of this place, that there is going to be consistent work done in this place to make sure that this becomes more true of us than it is today that we are this church family equipped well for the work of the ministry through our community with one another, the spirit of God's power and the truth of God by his word. We're gonna do this and we're gonna work at it and we're gonna stumble through it and we're gonna do it well some days and we're gonna do it not so well some days. And when we don't do it well, we're gonna get back up and do it better. And when we do it well, we're gonna thank God for his grace and keep doing it. But we're we're gonna be about that. That's what we're gonna get up to. And why are we going to work diligently to be equipped for the work of ministry in community through God's word by his spirit? Why? Because we have a calling into this war to shove the gates of hell backwards and take territory back where darkness currently holds human souls and unredeemed, unjust, uh, lack of mercy spaces. We're gonna go do something about that and we're called to it. Our calling as followers of Jesus to participate in this war is not unclear in scripture. It's not unclear. So I'm gonna read to you uh, what our calling is as followers of Jesus to participate in bringing about his kingdom in the story of individual humans and in the story of darkness on planet earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to go and help other humans come to understand who Jesus is so that they have the opportunity to follow him, to receive him as savior and to know him. And we do that because aren't we glad we know Jesus? I mean, aren't we glad when things are going well that we know Jesus? And aren't we glad that when things are going badly, we know Jesus? And aren't we glad that we know the end of the story? And aren't we glad that we know the current reality of the story? And aren't we glad that we know things like when you face trials of many kinds, he is refining your faith to make you mature and complete, not lacking anything, so take joy. And aren't we glad that we know that he does how many things for our good? all of them, the terrible, the wonderful. He works them all for good. There's so many other things I can go through. And don't we want other people to know these things? Yes. We do, don't we? Yes. So, so, so it makes sense. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. So that's our call. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This isn't a fight he's asking for. He's saying, when anybody comes to you and says, what is it about you that you just seem to transcend the typical human experience of crazy circumstances, relationships, and resource dynamics. That somehow, though you are certainly human, you're not an alien, you're just something different. You have something of a hope, of a joy, of a peace that I just find we ought to not just say, mm-hmm, it's just because, you know, I've got great habits in my life and I am generally, generally have some faith. No, he's like, no, 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 no. Give a reason for all of that. And who is the reason? Jesus. Jesus, or tell people about who? Jesus. Jesus. That's what Paul says. It's like, tell them about Jesus. Be ready at any occasion when somebody says, what's up with you? You go, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Because he's awesome. And everything I am and have is because I'm getting to know him better. I want that for people. Listen to what Paul writes later on in, in the book of Corinthians. I have become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul writes a multitude of times that he understands that he doesn't save anyone. What he's saying here is, God is going to uh, do work in people when they understand and hear the gospel. And I want to be the one sharing the gospel with them in any way possible, finding any means that I can, becoming whatever I have to in order to do that so that when they come to know him, I played a part. That's what he's saying. I get to share in this wondrous reality of a human being coming to know Jesus and moving from death to life and having eternal life and having their a temporary life shaped forever into a journey that brings about life, light, and freedom progressively rather than a journey toward worse and worse darkness. I mean, I want, I want to be part of that. So Paul says, I'm going, to, I'm going to do anything and everything to share the gospel with people. He writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what Paul understands. That when I, Paul, share the reality of Jesus and his work, what he's done, who he is and who I am because of him with someone, the gospel, the gospel itself is a power that then begins to do a work because who is the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is not some separation. He is the gospel. We tell them about Jesus, then he is the gospel. When we were in Jude, right before we entered into the Christmas season, do you remember that Jude wrote his letter to say, folks, don't let false teaching come in, contend for the faith. And remember that what he showed us, what Jude showed us, is that the way we contend for the faith is not by defending the lion of the tribe of Judah, the gospel, but by releasing him. Let me say that again. We don't have to defend Jesus and the gospel. We have to release Jesus and the gospel by sharing accurately who he is and what he's done. You with me? Jesus doesn't need you to defend him. FYI, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He decides what exists and he holds it as such. He doesn't need you defending him. I think so often we stand like, I've, poor Jesus, the culture like looks so down on him and, and I've got to try to help them understand how awesome he is. And he's like, just tell them about me and step aside. And that's what Paul's saying. I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power unto salvation because the King of Kings is the gospel. So I'm going to share the gospel Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done. Uh, here's, here's what that means. I'm going to go like this. <laughs> and whatever God decides to do with that human is in God's world. It's God's business. God, God knows. God loves in ways I cannot know or cannot love. And so I'm just going to share the gospel and let the power of the gospel do what the power of the gospel does. And I'm going to get on out of the way. Release the lion. That's what that first scene is all about, isn't it? As I lay there and think, I've done my best, God. I fought the good fight. It didn't work. It's like, oh, that worked fine. Aslan is on the move. Here I come. <laughs> Release the line. Listen to this. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20. Therefore, Paul writes again, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you sense Paul's zeal and passion for sharing the gospel with people? And why is he so excited, so passionate, so zealous to share the gospel with people? That's right, because he's trying to grow a bigger church. That's right, because he wants more resources. That's right, because he wants the biggest religion. No, he's excited because he knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has done and he knows what it means that somebody else would know that and he can't get it out of his head that that matters. If I know what I know about Jesus, if we sit here and we say we believe what we believe about Jesus, do we not want every human being to know what we know and see what we see? Yes. Why wouldn't we? Jesus is incredible. 
Life with him is incredible. Circumstances may still suck. Relationships may be terrible. Resources may be a challenge. Welcome to planet death. But what we get is a God who is using all of that then to refine us, shape us, change us, make good, and then save us forever. Giving us life forever. I want that for others and they need to know. So Paul writes this, listen to this. This is so crazy. Romans chapter 10, verses one through 13. Paul is writing about the beauty and simplicity of coming to know Jesus by faith. It's in Romans chapter 10, verses one through 13, that he says things like, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's crazy simple. Just just come to understand who he is. Believe that he is who he said he was and did what he said he did for you. Believe that. Step into community. Say that that's what what, what I believe. and, And that's it. What? That you're saved. That's the passage. Romans chapter 10, verse one through 13. And then in verse 14, here's what he says. So awesome. How then will they call on him in whom they do not believe? How will somebody, a human that that does not believe in Jesus actually come to believe in him? And and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? If they've never heard, how, how are they to come to believe? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? And how are they to preach or tell unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What Paul is saying is, listen, yes, God is sovereign and does his great work. He is the lion. He will bring about what he wants to bring about. But you and I have been invited into the story and made this collective thing called the church to go after the darkness. And the way we go after the darkness first and foremost is with a zeal and passion for Jesus and his redemptive work for other humans and to go and tell them. And so we get to tell them. And what Paul is saying is, if the gospel is the power unto salvation and the lion of Judah released is gonna do what he does, then you get the part in the story to just go and tell them. How crazy simple is that? Don't defend me or think you have to do this perfectly right. Get out there, be bold, tell them about Jesus and let me be and do what I do. So with all that said, it makes sense then, right? That we are being equipped as we said our first work is gonna be to do what? Here it is. To become and continue to become more a church family that is reaching Orlando with the gospel through bold and intentional evangelism and disciple making. We are gonna be a church family and work toward being a church family that is reaching Orlando with the gospel through bold and intentional evangelism and disciple making. Now I'm gonna tell you just to be honest with you because I think it's always fair at the beginning of of a new year just to be honest with yourself, right? Uh, The first one, I think we do that well and we're gonna continue to do it well and better. The next two that I'm gonna share with you that completes our journey for this year, I think we do them well and we're gonna do them better. You'll see when we get to them. But this one, this one is unique because it's not that we don't do this one, but we don't do it well. We don't do it well because I think uh, two things are true. One, we're in a cultural context where we forget that our job is to share the gospel and let the gospel be the power that it is. We think we are supposed to get ourselves so ready to share it in such a compelling way that someone might receive it because if they don't, we've blown it. So we'd rather not share just in case and just let God do his thing. And here's what God says, just go tell them about me. 
as often as uh, it'll get awkward, it'll get weird, they're gonna get, yes. But are we, like Paul saying this, I believe, I believe and I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation unto others. And second, I honestly think here at Mosaic Churches, we've evaluated part of our problem that makes this one not as clear for us and that we're not as zealous about is because we have right theology on God's sovereignty. Let me say that again. Because we have right theology on God's sovereignty. Do we believe that God is sovereign? Yes. Do we believe that this is God's story? Yes, that he takes care of everything, that he's the lion, that we're with him, he's not with us, that, that he's gonna get it done with or without us. Do we believe all of that? Yes, yes and we should, because it's true. But the dark side of that belief is it could, if you're not paying attention to the whole of scripture, lead you as it does me sometimes to be less zealous about the things we're invited to participate with because God's already got it covered. And how, how foolish would we be if we did that? extremely and so we ought to not do that and when we discover we've been foolish as I can honestly say yep, I've been foolish I haven't been as zealous as Paul becoming anything I can for anyone to share the gospel with them because I have forgotten that the invitation to be part of this is extraordinary and I all I have to do is share the gospel <laughs> that's it share the gospel and so this one I'm really excited about and and and, and we're going to work we're going to work at this one all of us together to say, we're gonna become a people that share the gospel. And we put Orlando in there specifically. Do you know why? Is it because the only place we care about coming to know Jesus is Orlando? No, of course not. Do we want Florida to hear the gospel? How about the US? How about all of the continents around the world, the entire globe? Yes, but oftentimes in our type of context, we can get away with not participating in the actual reality of just sharing with someone about Jesus by saying, oh my gosh, I participate in the gospel being shared all over the US and the world as we resource global partners. And, and do we do all of that? Yes. yes. But this doesn't, doesn't let you and I off the hook for the part we get to play. And frankly, it's not just off the hook. That's the wrong way of thinking about it, isn't it? It doesn't compel us to the invitation that we get in the room. Oh, you're the sons and daughters of Adam. He planned you to be part of this. Get on board. Let's go do this. We get to defeat the darkness. So again, listen again. Here it is. A church family that is reaching Orlando with what? The gospel through what? Bold and intentional evangelism and discipleship making. We're going to learn to do that together so that people will hear about Jesus. And whether they come to know Jesus or not is none of your or my business. That is not why we do it. We do it because we love them, we care about them, we want them to know Jesus, and we trust Jesus to do what Jesus does with them. But we get to share. As a consequence, or rather as part of fulfilling that calling, here's the second thing we're gonna be doing as a church in this category of letting people know about Jesus. We're gonna become a church family, or rather continue to be a church family and get better at it, that is multiplying gospel outposts throughout Central Florida, through training leaders, launching campuses, and planting new churches. This is our way of saying what Paul said, we'll become and do anything to, if, if it would afford us the opportunity to have some come to know Jesus. You with me? Do we need churches all over Central Florida? Do we have a bunch? Yes, do we need more? 
Yes, we need more. So we're going to participate actively as we've been doing, but even more so in making sure that gospel outposts, places where people can locally gather and don't have to drive all the way here uh, are all around Orlando and Central Florida so that people can both experience the biblical community and the biblical community can be sharing the gospel with them in their local environment. And we're gonna do that through planting churches and starting campuses, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. We're gonna invest in making sure that we can say one year, five years, 10 years from now, because we're doing what we're doing, there are more churches and more campuses and more gospel outposts around Central Florida than there were when we started. And we were participants in that. And then finally, the final piece of this year and into the indefinite future that we're gonna be about as a church uh, is, is this, it's born out of two spaces in scripture. <clears throat> do we need to preach the gospel? Yes. Do we need to see gospel outposts? Yes. Do we need to stay close to Jesus while we're doing all of that? Yes. And as we stay close to Jesus, is the work of the ministry to make the gospel known? Yes. Part of making the gospel known is not just preaching it, it's also demonstrating it. This is a part of the scriptural story. And God summarizes this reality in both Old and New Testament in two places. Lots of other places too, but two places are a summary. Micah chapter six, verse eight. Listen to what he says. He, God, has told you, O person, what is good, right? So we all ought to say, yes, he has. He, I mean, he's told you what is good, O person, right? Yes. Y- y- yes, he has. And then you go, remind me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. I'm sure he sure he told me, but just remind me again. So that the, um, the prophet Micah will remind us uh, by the spirit of God. Look, he has told you, O person, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with God. Are we to find places where there's injustice and if we are able to work at making injustice justice? Yes. Yes. And are we to find the vulnerable and where they need kindness and mercy to be those who bring kindness and mercy? Yes. Yes. And one another, kindness and mercy. Yes. So here's what he's saying. If you're going to live out the gospel, you're preaching that you believe that it looks this way. You're going to find places of injustice and change that way you can with what you have. And you're going to find places that need mercy and engage. And you're going to trust God's way over the way of your culture, the world, or anything else at any time. And then listen to what he says in James chapter one, verse 27. Now, New Testament, religion or the expression of our faith and our clarity of the gospel, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, the vulnerable, to care for the vulnerable, and to keep oneself unstained from the philosophies of the world. So what that translates into is very simple for us. This is something we've been doing a long time. We're gonna keep doing it. We're gonna keep doing it better and more. Added to the preaching of the gospel more zealously than ever before. Here's here's what it is. Church, this church that you're a part of, if you're part of this, we are going to work this year and into the indefinite future to become a church family that is changing the world through the movement of our resources, that is time, treasure, and talent to serve one another and meet the needs of vulnerable people locally and globally through adoption and foster care, poverty alleviation, and the ending of the horrors of human trafficking. We're gonna work at that. We're gonna keep working at that because that's what we are invited to be a part of. That's what participation looks like in the gospel. So church, we stand 
in that scene where the beavers are like, they don't know, they don't know, they don't know. And she's like, well, tell them. And he's like, there's, there's more than hope here. If they only knew, tell them. And then they're like, Aslan is on the move. And you get to join him. He's already got the army pulled together. It, it all turns out super well. The, the, it all works. You get to be part of this. And they're like, we're not heroes and we're from a small town. And they're like, I know. Wait till you meet Aslan and you'll understand. And then when they meet Aslan, they do understand. And God makes them more than they could have ever imagined. And they get to be participants in bringing about life, light, and freedom where there was winter, death, and darkness. We stand in that same place, church, where God is like, this year, join me. Stay close to me and join me. Tell them about me and let me do what I do. Serve them like I would, bringing justice and mercy, and I will do what I do. And keep putting more and more outposts of the gospel everywhere you can. And I'll do what I do. Welcome to the story. And so I say, I for one, and I hope many of you, I'm going to follow Aslan right into this whole thing. Or at least follow Jesus right into this whole thing that Aslan represents in that beautiful story. Because Jesus is on the move. And I'm going to go with him. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to get to change the world because he's changing the world and I'm with him. So Jesus is on the move. Are we ready for 2024 to go with him and do something about this? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us and the wonder of what it's like to know what we know because you've revealed it in scripture, to understand who you are, what you've done, what you are doing and what you will do, to trust in what is to come and to know that our part right now is to jump in, to stay close to you, and together through biblical community, your word and your spirit be equipped to know, believe, live and preach the gospel. Then to boldly tell everyone that we know about you because we love them and we want them to know. And then to release you and let you do what you do with them. And then to work diligently wherever we find injustice, wherever we find vulnerability and we have been given resources or ability or clarity or influence to do something about it, to get on doing something about it. So that in time, because you are at work and we are with you, that we would see injustice become justice. Vulnerability through kindness and mercy becomes strength and stability. And that your truth would become known by those who are recipients of justice and mercy so that they might also know you and join the story and become part of those bringing life, light, and freedom into the darkness. Make us bold, make us ready, show us the way. We're right here. Tell us what we can do, or rather, since you've told us, help us do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.